This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When a company is struggling, one of the first reactions really is to look at potentially some of the market forces and see if they are a factor. But when those are not, many companies are sometimes dumbfounded. Instead, Chris Zuck, who's a partner at Bain & Company and co-head of Bain's global strategy practice for the last 20 years or so, says that it may be a variety of other factors involved. Chris follows this strategy in his new book, The Founder's Mentality, How to Overcome the Predictable Crises of Growth. And Chris joins us on the show right now. Chris, welcome. Well, thanks very much for, uh, for inviting me, Dan. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you to, uh, for coming on. Uh, I'm going to take something actually first before we get into the book, but from the notes that come with the book, growth creates complexity and complexity is the silent killer of growth. Go into that a little bit more. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the early years of a company, the founder years, are almost like a single-celled animal in biology. The, the founder has perfect information, maybe the front line uh, turns the lights on and off at night. But as the company grows successful over time and is proven in the marketplace, it naturally needs to begin to scale. And as it begins to scale, it grows in complexity. It adds layers. It begins to maybe add other businesses. It goes into other geographies. Uh, Departments begin to become formed each with their own expertise strategy. And over time, senior management, if it's not careful, can uh, move farther and farther away from the, uh, from the front lines. And we found that the, what we call the founder's mentality, which are the three great traits that the great founders imbued into their companies, can often begin to uh, wane and companies can lose a sense of, uh, of the front line. They can lose a sense of their mission. And uh, companies, at their worst, begin to turn into bureaucracies. And in fast-moving markets like today, when you become a bureaucracy, it's, uh, it's, it's all over. The next wave of insurgence begins to take you over. So really, the, the, the problem of companies being able to sustain their growth uh, is a relatively new problem, correct? Well, we found uh, in a database that we have of 8,000 companies that right now only about one in nine companies in the world in the last 10 years has achieved more than a modest level of sustained and profitable growth for 10 years. So it is, uh, it is difficult. It's becoming more difficult. And the cycle times of businesses in many industries are becoming like the life cycles of fruit flies. They're becoming <laughs> shorter and shorter. Young companies scale ever faster. Uh, setting new records for doing that every decade, and uh, uh, older companies can collapse much faster than than we've ever seen before. You know, one of the I think most amazing and powerful statistics from our five-year study, uh, where we visited 40 different countries in the course of it, is that for the largest of companies, uh, 94% uh, say that their barriers to achieving their growth targets, which, of course, 9 out of 10 fall short of, uh, by my other statistic, 94% of the barriers are now internal. They're not lack of a market, market saturation, technologies they couldn't possibly have, unbeatable competitors, government regulation, economic slowdown, none of that. Uh, they say in 94% of the time, 
it is internal. And we found that many more than two-thirds of these primary reasons were related to complexity and how some companies uh, age prematurely. Are, are the companies themselves making it, are they making it too hard on themselves with the way they operate and the way they think right now? I think that companies uh, often encounter the curse of the matrix organization. Okay. And you know, we, in, our, in our study, we found that, that most companies that get to be over $5 billion in size have uh, between 9 and 14 layers between management and the front line. And they encounter what we call the distortions of bureaucracy. You know, okay. incentives become distorted. You worry more about your department than the original founder, uh, like Les Wexner opening his first store, you know, focused on... on uh, uh, on, on the details, yep. you, you, you have information that gets distorted. You know, what used to be customers known by name becomes uh, averages, and then they become averages manipulated by um, staff functions all the way through, and more decisions. The worst of all, you know, the worst of all is that more and more decisions in these companies begin to be made by people who have never served a customer and uh, often never worked in a factory and never been involved in designing a product. And that can really be the beginning uh, of the end. We're talking with uh, Chris Zook, who is the uh, co-author of the book, The Founder's Mentality, along with James Allen. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. So this uh, founder's mentality that, uh, that companies really should think about, it's more towards the creative and... Uh, the the thoughts of uh, of the company more so than the actual bottom line. The bottom line ends up coming as a byproduct of it. Yeah, it's really about the inner health of companies. Yep. I remember reading that the best selling business uh, sports book of all time was the inner game of tennis. This is a little bit the inner game of business. We found three elements that we referred to uh, as the elements of the founder's mentality, which we felt were the best uh, measures of health. In, inside of a company, and yet boards of directors don't typically ask as many questions or track these, even though we found they're between 85 and 94 percent of the reasons companies break down in the outside. And the three of them uh, are, just to, very quickly, um, number one, what we called an insurgent mission. Mm-hmm. You know, every founder is uh, either at war against their industry standards because they are frustrated with it, or trying to create something new, like Elon Musk is doing creating a vehicle potentially to put people on Mars with SpaceX, or Google is doing to organize information. And yet over time, companies can become just another company. And, you know, we found that only 13% of people in the world now say they feel they have any emotional commitment at all to the company where they spend probably half of their waking lives. The second element of the founder's mentality is what we called frontline obsession. I've, I've referred to that uh, moments ago in, indirectly, but you know a great image for me uh, was uh, a description by Vikram Oberoi, the CEO of Oberoi Hotels, mm-hmm. voted a number of years the great, uh, the best hotel, luxury hotel in the world. He would describe how on on Sunday mornings he'd visit his father, M. S. Oberoi, who was a poor villager that began this story in this incredible humble beginning, and he and even at the age of 94, he would be holding customer comment cards in front of his eyes three inches away when he could barely see, scratching notes about the, the temperature of the tea for customer complaints. You know, that to me uh, gets lost often in big companies. And the third is what we call the owner's mindset, which is an aversion to bureaucracy 
and a, a desire to jump on problems, take responsibility right away, yep. which often gets lost in big companies. It's the essence of private equity success in a way. Who, who are some of the examples of some of these companies that, that, are, that are really following this path right now and, and being successful in the process? Well, I think that uh, AB InBev is quite a remarkable company now having over 100,000 employees and capturing 30% of the beer market from what was uh, essentially a uh, one single brewery in Brazil that was infused and basically refounded by um, the group that is now 3G Capital. I think that's a great example of the owner's mentality. Uh, you know, I, I think L Brands, Les Wexner, <laughs> is one of the few serial founders within L Brands creating uh, seven successful companies in a row within that, from Victoria's Secret to Bath and Body Works. And I think, to me, he, he, he epitomizes the founder's mentality. A recent Harvard study actually listed the most successful still-running um, CEO founders in the world in terms of shareholder return, and he came up uh, number one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, certainly in terms of... of uh, uh, an insurgent mission, you know, there are no shortage of, of companies from, from Apple to, to Google to certainly Nike's focus on performance. And, you know, in all of these companies, you don't have 13% of people who relate to the mission. You have much higher percentages. Yeah. And uh, we found that when you have uh, people, people who, who say, this is kind of amazing to me also, people who say in a company that they feel emotionally connected to the business also they are five times more likely to invest significant personal time in solving a customer problem on the spot or offering innovative suggestions. And if you and, and it's the opposite, obviously, if you don't feel that. And you know, imagine the difference between a young insurgent company where everyone feels that and a company where people just want to go home at the end of the day. And, and that's interesting because of, and, and maybe it, it isn't a, a direct correlation, but it, I, I hear what you just said, and it kind of leads me to that, is the fact that you have more and more people, especially in that millennial age bracket, uh, that now, several years out from the recession, feel more comfortable being able to jump from job to job You know, after two years, three years. So, you know, that that emotional investment may not be there as much, yet they're still giving a, a lot when they are there, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. When you look at surveys of what millennials want, right at the top uh, is the values of the company and what it stands for and having some special purpose, usually even above money and uh, many financial considerations. One thing that was interesting is, you know, we did find quite a few cases of companies that lost the founder's mentality and renewed it. So, you know, it's not just something okay. that you yeah. were born with yeah. and then you try to hold on to it. But um, it is something that can be uh, renewed. But it's essential to attract talent and to retain people from the millennial generation. So then what are the characteristics then of that specific demographic of somebody that maybe had that mentality, lost it, and then found it again? A company that lost it and found it? Well, I mean, not specifically a company, but what does the company go through in that process? Obviously, you know, they they had a a mindset at, at one point, and at some point, I guess, they lost it and were more concerned about the bottom line and realized that maybe they made a mistake and came back, correct? Yeah, it was either more concerned about the bottom line, more concerned for growth of its own sake, which happened years ago to Starbucks and, and Home Depot, or 
simply a distortion of what the company really stood for. You know, when, when one of the re- most remarkable examples, I think, uh, of this, just to, to illustrate it with a specific, is the renewal of Lego, which was one of the okay. great founder companies. It was voted the toy of the century. The, the founder began it in the 30s. <clears throat> his his uh, son, the next generation, went took it from wooden blocks to plastic. And uh, the next generation said, no, it's not a toy, even though it got the Toy of the World Award, and there's 71 Lego blocks for every human on planet Earth. No, <laughs> it's, it's a brand. And it, it impelled them to go into everything from plastic watches to theme parks to a joint venture with Steven Spielberg on movie making for children. All of those things were a disaster. It sucked energy from the core. And Lego uh, was almost 18 months away from bankruptcy when the new CEO came back in went back to the original basics of the bricks, uh, simplified the product line, and now it's, it's the best uh, growth rejuvenation story in, in Europe. In fact, he brought back the original principles of play of the founder. They also found who, out who owned those 71 Lego blocks per person, that there were 350,000 Lego-obsessed people. Some were architects who built Frank Lloyd Wright, Lloyd Wright houses, and some yeah. were, were just young people who maintained it through their lives, and they began... Uh, b- building them into the product development and having measures of the uh, customer intimacy and loyalty that they never had before and, and really brought back well, the founder's in- mentality. The interesting thing about Lego is the fact that, you know, as somebody, you know, I'm late 40s, I grew up with Lego, and I lost it for a while, and now I'm interested in it because my kids are interested in it. Because, uh, and partly because of the fact that there, there's a Lego movie and there's going to be a second Lego movie. And it's amazing how, I guess in the case of Lego, how their media element has really played and their partnership element has really played into this kind of rebirth of the company. Yes, you know, it, it's, I think it's true with uh, individuals where you often don't appreciate um, what you have and see the full potential in it. And it's true of, uh, of companies. You know, there's such a tendency to become enamored of the next bright, shiny object or fail to see the full potential in your core yeah. uh, over and over and over again. It's just a common common theme. In fact, two-thirds of Bain strategy studies have that as the primary uh, finding we, we, we discovered, that companies fail to see the full potential in their yeah. core and often needed to shrink to grow. You talk about uh, a couple of, uh, of, I guess, symptoms might be the best word for it, where when every company is going to kind of face this, and they have to navigate the problems, that they have these crises of growth. Go into that a little bit and what they are and and exactly how they play out. Sure. We, uh, some of your older readers might remember years ago there was a book called Passages, uh, which was about predictable crises of adult life in your 40s and 50s and 60s. And in a sense, um, we found the same true of life cycles of companies, and that the founder's mentality played a different role in each of three life phases. One, which is the growth phase after the idea is proven and the company tries to scale itself five or ten times. A company that got in trouble trying to scale itself, for example, was uh, Lululemon. Um, and so we called that, over, that crisis overload. The second one we called stallout. This is a case of a very large company that uh, is still growing and suddenly discovers out of the blue. It happens very quickly, usually, very quickly, that 5, 10, 12% revenue growth has suddenly gone to 1 or 2%.
profits are flat for a while, the indicators are bad, like Starbucks. And we found that two-thirds of large companies stall out like that, and uh, that only about one in six or one in seven actually recover. Um, Mm. And then the third, which happens to fewer companies, is about the obsolescence of their uh, growth model, like uh, Freefall, which happened to Marvel Comics that was rejuvenated uh, by going back to the characters. But the, the, uh, the interesting thing, I guess, for particularly powerful for us was that the, what the decisions made and the actions taken around these three crisis moments determined 85% of the value swings of uh, a large companies instead of companies that we studied in their life cycle. These three crises and what people do, which relates to the founder's mentality, drives the stock market as much as anything. I would, th- I, I would think there are probably a lot of companies out there that don't consider kind of going back to the past in order to be able to move I- into the future. You know, the Starbucks, Howard Schultz thing, uh, you know, the changes that, that a lot of companies will, will make with their CEO, and they will bring back, uh, you know, an, uh, an old CEO. Jack Dorsey with Twitter trying to, trying to get that whole company figured out right now. Absolutely. We, we t- did look at the phenomenon of founders coming back, because those are obviously the most dramatic examples of renewing the founders' mentality. You know, Michael Dell going back to Dell, sure, taking, yeah. it, taking it private and saying that he wanted to create the, lar- you know, the conditions for the largest startup on the planet. Uh, I talked to Michael recently about how that's going, and he said the employee engagement numbers have ever been higher, never been higher, and they're regaining uh, market share in their core businesses. And, you know, they just bought EMC, the largest, yep. uh, largest company uh, uh, acquisition in, in technology. So, you know, I think, it's, uh, I think it's very interesting to observe those. But we found, we did find that in, a, in, about, in about a third of the cases when the founder comes back, Yahoo might be exa- an example. And, you know, as, as you point out, Twitter will be a very interesting one because the problems there may go maybe deeper. I don't know. Uh, and only in a third of the cases, the founder coming back didn't solve the problem. Right. But, you know, in two-thirds of the cases, it, was, uh, it, 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 it did end up uh, helping it could, because they brought back the founder's mentality. Anything that really caught you off guard in terms of, uh, of doing this research, either for the positive or for the negative? Uh, a, a, couple, a couple things emerged and sort of sunk into my brain and became very profound to me as we went on. One, three things, really. One, one, the incredible humility of many of the great founders in the, of the world, that humility was at the center, not all, but of many of them. These were amazing, amazing people. Second, uh, I began to realize that right now, in a world that needs more and better leadership more than it ever has, that more people are looking to founders as models of leadership. There's even a movie coming out in August called The Founder, about the founder of McDonald's. Right. Uh, you know, six of, of in, founders in the last 20 or so years by Time Magazine have been Person of the Year, whereas the previous 60, it was only one. And so mm-hmm. I think a second thing is how much founders are now leadership lessons. And the third thing that uh, was very, very powerful is as we looked at it across the world and did some analysis uh, of the relationship between how a, company, a, country, a country is able to foster entrepreneurs and nurture companies in their growth phase uh, like Silicon Valley does, Mm -hmm. we found that uh, we had a very, very strong correlation between the growth rates and robustness of economies and their ability to foster uh, and encourage uh, young founders.
Obviously, a lot of companies these days are, are not being run by the guy who was the founder of the company. Uh, so how does a company that, that that is in that particular category and they have kind of wandered astray get that founder's mentality? I, I mean, it, it, it partly it, it's a personal it's a personal push from the C-suite, correct? It usually is. Uh, we did find that these characteristics of the founder's mentality can be practiced really by any leader. And, uh, you know, one, one example that we used was uh, a man named J. Bo Floyd, who runs one of the Walmart distribution centers, who we feel is an exemplar um, of that. So it can start from the bottom, but certainly take Disney, for example. You know, the rejuvenation of Disney over the last uh, decade under Bob Iger is an example of, you know, a non-founder coming back in, coming in, but uh, really getting it and rejuvenating the spirit, and particularly going back to animation. You know, he bought Pixar, he bought yep. Marvel Comics. In fact, he even, even uh, went, went and bought the rights to the rabbit that was the hero in the very first Disney animated film, uh, and the rights had been sold. And he yep. recaptured, uh, recaptured that. And, you know, I think that's why the board of Disney is so concerned about, uh, you know, his ultimate departure. It's very hard to find somebody who can so well rekindle the founder's mentality. I, I guess realistically what the what the end goal is, is obviously the, the, the founder plays a big role in this or the CEO plays a big role in this. But, but in some respects, this is something that you want to see filter down throughout the organization, like a lot of things. It's almost, you know, like we've talked, uh, and, and a lot of people have talked about, you know, you want the employees to buy in to the whole you know, to the whole story. They want, you want them to have, as we said before, millennials want to have a feeling that the company is doing the right things for the right reasons. If you have that buy-in all the way up and down the line, that founder's mentality concept kind of does play out throughout the organization, whether it's up at the top or down in the mailroom. Yes. I mean, many of the great renewals that we examined actually did have most of the action um, at, 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 at the bottom of the pyramid. And some of the companies that managed to maintain the founders' mentality did it by keeping very flat organizations where there were just many positions that we began to call mini founder experiences. Um, I guess the most sharp example that would be very familiar to your listeners would be something like Domino's Pizza and the sure. franchisees. Okay. You know, the, the Domino's franchisee in India I spoke to in the course of doing this study now has a thousand pizza stores in India and sounded just like a founder, even though he's part of the franchise organization, and described all the things that he was so proud of doing, like pizza delivery during the monsoons in half an hour or yeah. tailoring the pizzas to the Indian spice palette. And, you know, creating many founder experiences in a company is one way to do it. The other thing is through feedback and making sure the people who are the heroes and making the making as many decisions as possible are the people uh, at the front line. I mean, yeah. Enterprise Rent-A-Car, the biggest hirer of college graduates in the United States, yep. puts those people into management positions right away in their uh, eight or nine thousand locations. Gives them a lot of freedom and measures and coaching, and those are in a sense all mini manager somewhat many founder experiences. And, and they are marketing as such. They've got a variety of commercials out there where they talk not only about college graduates, but college former college athletes, you know, with their support of the NCAA. Uh, Chris, I have to end it there. We're at the top of the hour. It's, it's, it's a great book. Uh, thank you very much for, for giving us the time today. 
thank you. It's a great pleasure to be on with you. You got it. Chris Zook, the book, by the way, he and uh, James Allen putting together the founder's mentality, how to overcome the predictable crises of growth. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.